Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. Today we start a new chapter. At the end of the day, it's all about grace. Really looking forward to this message. I hope you are as well. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this incredible privilege of gathering together this way of breaking bread together, the very bread of life. That is the word of God, Father. Thank you so much for imparting it to our souls, to our benefit. We know that it is a grace expression of your love, Father, towards us that we're built up, that we're edified in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the word itself, Father. Thank you so much. May we never become familiar with these blessings, Father, but again, embrace them for what they are, expressions of your love. Father, we do pray for those in the congregation that are still ill or hurting or need comfort, Father. Our prayers go out to them. We are with them in spirit. We want them to know it, Father. Please, through your divine providence, comfort them and let them know and reassure them that they have brothers and sisters in Christ that are with them in spirit, Father. We also pray for those in the world that are still lost, without hope, that you humble them, that they allow themselves even to be humbled, Father, and that they receive saving faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a time like this a moment to rejoice in, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this message, and may it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, at the end of the day, folks, it's all about grace. I want to begin with a principle from last time that I really enjoyed up here on the board. It just gets us situated again. It gets our minds in the right frame of reference. It's transcendence. A transcendent viewpoint can still see all that is below it. And so as we learned last time, the Spirit's teaching us to set our minds, Colossians 3, right? Set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. That's our minds. It doesn't mean we're blind, though. And so this transcendent viewpoint can still see all that is below it with our minds fixed on the things that are above. We are not blind, though, to the things that are on earth, Colossians 3, 2. We can and should still observe the things around us on earth. Therefore, the, the conclusion is that deliverance, then, is a mindset not blindness or willful ignorance. This is why I was thinking about this recently. We can't run away from our problems. We can't change geographies or, you know, invite new people in or throw old friends out. That's that's not the technique that the Spirit has been teaching us. The technique is to have a transcendent viewpoint And our minds be set on the things above, but not be blind to the things on earth. Our problems, our trials, our tribulations, let's face it, no matter what we do in this life, they follow us. People are people. People are messed up. People are ignorant. People are arrogant. People are aggressive. You just don't get away from it unless you're willing to live in a cave, which is not something God has designed for most of us. Uh, (laughs) Presumably, we're going to have to deal with it. And so we have to elevate above. Therefore, again, the key point, deliverance is a mindset, not blindness, though, or willful ignorance. And that's really wonderful perspective as we continue to look into the mirror and discover all the ways that we are still in bondage, possibly, as individuals to the world economy. With that said, it appears that we've come to the end of the road here, my friends, as you've noticed Uh, it's no longer the Lord is our confidence. We're done with the series. Uh, The series has, in essence, completed its course, at least for North Christian Church, that is. I, for one, enjoyed every last message we received by grace from God the Holy Spirit on this topic. I was thinking about it. 
80 parts, folks. That's a lot. 80 parts means 80 hours of in-depth Bible study for you, minimally, minimally, with emphasis on minimally. So if we're going to count beans properly, I don't know if that's the right term, but we need to include all of the hours in between these messages that the Spirit has worked over time in us. Remember, as I've always referred to this with you all, a single message represents multiple hours of preparation and even thinking throughout the week. When I'm not even in front of my computer typing up the message, these messages are coming to fruition. You see, the way the Spirit works, at least in my case, as your pastor, is that he leads me to certain thoughts and ideas and scriptures throughout the week. And then as a capstone of all those thoughts, he authors the message. So it's like compressing hours of thought and guidance and preparation into a single hour. I just got reminded of, remember, you'd go on a long vacation and your suitcase was too small. You did everything in your power to just jam as many clothes and then you'd sit on it and try to buckle those old school snap downs. Remember those things? I might be dating myself, but I certainly did that more than once. It's like that. It's like trying to stuff so much into a journey. And that's what it is to, that's what it's like as a shepherd to, to put these messages together. It's like compressing hours of thought and guidance and preparation into a single hour. There's a lot stuffed into a single message. So it's impossible for you to decompress a message from a series like this while you're listening to it for the very first time. It's impossible. So just a little bit more on this as we think through this. 80 messages up here on the board, 80 messages is a lot more than 80 hours. If it takes a shepherd hours to compress a message into a single hour, it'll take hours for his sheep to decompress it. And think about this. A pristine example of this principle is what you've got open before you right now, namely your Bible. As many of you will attest, a person can read their Bible from cover to cover. Certainly inside of a year, comfortably, right? May we assume that once a person has read their Bible that there's, you know, no reason to pick it up like ever again? I mean, I've read that book. I've, I've read the Bible once. That's all I need to do. I, I, I learned it all through one read. First time I saw it, everything made sense. Are we to presume that thing? I mean, did the Spirit of Christ, our great shepherd, pack a little more wisdom and spiritual insight into the Bible than what can be gleaned from a single read-through? That's the same point I'm making here about these messages. Again, up here on the board, 80 messages is a lot more than 80 hours. It might be 80 hours on paper. There might be 80 hours of video recording or audio recording. But trust me, there's a lot more packed into 80 messages than just 80 hours. If it takes a shepherd hours to compress a message into a single hour, it'll take hours for a sheep to decompress it. That's the point. So when I look back on this series, I don't just see 80 parts or 80 messages or 80 hours. I see supernatural guidance on the topic of confidence having begun last summer. That's how I look at it. Supernatural guidance on the topic of confidence having begun last summer. In other words, it's a continuum. It's not just 80 messages. It's a continuum. It's a curriculum. And I did the you know back of napkin math on that time period. That's nearly 8,000 hours of living has gone by since last summer for each one of us. 8,000 hours. Now, I know, you know we're asleep about one-third of that time or whatever, but I hope you get the point I'm getting at. When, when I look back on this 80-part series, I think about how long we've been on it, not just how many hours it has taken each one of you to listen to the messages. I think about how long we've been on the topic of, say, confidence. 
as I stated a few messages back, the Spirit really, obviously, had something to say to us about this topic. The Lord is our confidence. And just to add a little icing on that cake, we know that most of even the blogs were quite complimentary to the pulpit messages. So it certainly wasn't just 80 hours or 80 messages. There were uh, probably half that many blogs. So as we noted while closing our message on Sunday, this is all about grace. When you think about our curriculum, the way that the Spirit just laid it out for us, having started this journey on the Lord is my confidence last summer, it's almost summer again, right? We started that last summer, 11 months worth. That, my friends, is grace. When we talk about grace, we have to. the starting point is always the same. It always should be the same. By grace, we've been saved. So says the Holy Bible. That's always where we should go back to when we think about grace and how God has even begun to express it to mankind. He does so through the gospel. By grace, we've been saved. So says the Holy Bible. Not just that, by grace in every aspect of our salvation and deliverance. Not just unto Christ's confidence, but in every aspect of our living, we are saved. We're not, in other words, we're not just saved from insecurity and we have confidence as we're saved and sanctified. But this grace, this salvation, this deliverance is by grace in every aspect of our living. It's by grace that the good Lord has kept his promises regarding salvation itself. Let's read a, a passage now. Go to Ephesians 2 verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Many of you are very familiar with this. Hopefully you don't fall into that weird camp where you think you're just going to read it once and you know everything. When I say weird, I'm obviously using a euphemism. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Think of all the work we've done recently on the world economy. You were in it at one point. You were invested in it. You had return on investments even in that economy, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, we'll end this way in this message, by the way, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here it is, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again, for by grace, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Whew! What an incredible passage of Holy Scripture. Here's the takeaway for us. Up here on the board, by grace through faith we are saved. In this we must be supremely confident. If we're going to close out an 80-part series, to heck with that, a series that started last summer. In this, we have to be supremely confident. If we're going to close out a series on confidence, let us know. By grace through faith, we are saved. In this, we must be supremely confident. This is both our assurance of positional sanctification, also known as salvation proper, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and experiential or what others call progressive sanctification. In other words, being saved daily even. We'll look at that in a moment. John 17, 12, 2 Peter 2, 9. As well as our ultimate sanctification, that third phase, which is really perfection in heaven. We'll look at Titus 3, 7 in a moment. When we get right down to it, after all these messages, my friends, I cannot say it enough. It's all about grace the end of the day, it's all about grace. Let's grab a few friendly reminders now from our Bibles on this topic of grace. Go to Titus 2 verse 11. Titus 2 verse 11. Just a friendly reminder uh, in Holy Scripture how God delivers his grace unto those he's willing to save. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, this, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, by grace we are saved positionally and experientially even to this day. Go to 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18. Again, just a little bit more, just a quick survey on the topic of grace can certainly never get enough of that in the Word of God, right? 2 Peter 3, verse 18 reads, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is how we grow. This is how we're sanctified. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. In other words, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, lest anyone boast. Growing in God's grace and knowledge is a gift from God himself. Go to Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. And it gives us that supreme confidence. That's what we've been after for, for 80 parts now, plus uh, since last summer even. The Lord is our confidence. What does that mean? Well, that's what it means to grow in his grace and knowledge. Hebrews 4.16 speaks to it in a practical sense. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Do you see the connective tissue there? With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Spirit alluded to this 
last time that in humility we receive grace. In arrogance we reject it. And when we reject grace, we might as well shoot our own confidence in the foot. Again, the point on the board though, bigger picture, by grace through faith we are saved, not just salvation proper, but experientially and even ultimately. In this we must be supremely confident. This is both our assurance of positional sanctification, aka salvation proper, and experiential progressive sanctification, in other words, being saved daily, as well as our ultimate sanctification, which is perfection in heaven. We've already read the Ephesians 2 reference regarding positional sanctification. Let's just get a quick look now at the passages referenced here regarding experiential and progressive sanctification. In other words, how God saves us daily. First, let's look at the words of Jesus Christ up here on the board. John 17, verse 12, reads, While I was with them, I kept. We've looked at this Greek word several times in this ministry in the past. It's the Greek word tereo. It means to guard from loss or injury. And the active voice means it's Jesus that's doing it. I kept them. The active voice means Jesus was personally keeping them saved. I hope you get that. We did a, a pretty sizable mini-series, I believe, on this topic of being saved daily. That it requires the Lord himself to keep us saved. While I was with them, I kept Tereo. He, kept, he saved them. He kept them saved. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The point is that we are saved daily, but not just in, again, not just in the eternal sense, though that is the root of it, according to Jesus' own words in John 17, 12. As fruit of God's overall plan for salvation, we are also saved, aka delivered, from the daily trials we encounter in life. That's something we have to be supremely confident in as well. Peter wrote about this. Go to 2 Peter 2, verse 9. That's the second reference point from our instigating principle. By grace through faith we are saved. 2 Peter 2, verse 9. Again, this is all about grace. At the end of the day, my friends... It's all about grace. 2 Peter 2.9 Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's what we call salvation. You're saved. You're rescued. You're delivered from trials even. He saves us daily. That's the point. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He saves us daily. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of Judgment. Again, the instigating point up here on the board, by grace through faith, we are saved. In this, we must be supremely confident. This is both our assurance of positional sanctification and experiential progressive sanctification, as well as our ultimate sanctification. Let's not forget that. And then finally, let's look at this phase three of our sanctification. Go to Titus 3 verse 4. We'll start there. The reference is Titus 3 7 in the principle, but let's start at verse 4. Again, we're just going to look at that, what we would call theologically the third phase of our sanctification, often called ultimate sanctification. But again, all three of these quote phases, if you want to call it that, they're a part of God's salvific plan. It's, it's God's overall big picture plan for saving mankind. Remember, he sees the beginning from the end, so all three phases are a reality to him. All three phases are part of his salvation plan. Titus 3, 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. This echoes back to Ephesians 2, of course. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's that forward-looking, ultimate sanctification. Again, by grace, we are saved ultimately as well. The point on the board, by grace through faith, we are saved. In this, we must be supremely confident. All three phases, my friends. So let's look at one last passage on this topic of grace for the moment. Something really simple, quite simple, that really puts things into perspective for us. It's so simple, sometimes it's, I, I think it's easy to read over passages like this. Go to Romans 11, verse 6. But we can't, we must not just read over this. Romans eleven six. Paul really wasn't one, uh, definitely not in Romans 11, to wax poetic or even wax philosophical per se. He's pretty direct. Romans 11.6, just a little bit more perspective that the Spirit wants us to take away from this message. Romans 11.6, but if it is by grace, this is a principle we've got before us, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. We must take this to heart. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it's grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. And just think about that 80-part series on confidence. Think about how many times the Spirit made us think practically. Are you trying to build yourself up a little bit here? Are you setting yourself up for a little self-confidence here? Are you doing certain things or thinking a certain way or make, making certain friends or acquaintances even to build up your self-confidence? Those are all the nuances, if you remember, that the Spirit took us to over the past 11 months. They have everything to do with verse 6 of Romans 11. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So this actually came up throughout the 80-part series on confidence several times, just from a different direction. The net-net, though, was very simple up here on the board. Self-confidence versus Christ-confidence. Self-confidence versus Christ-confidence. When we believe we're righteous, our confidence relies on self. We call that self Confidence. When we believe Christ's righteousness, our confidence relies on him. We call that Christ confidence. The prior is the source of insecurity, which is tantamount to rejecting grace. The latter, true confidence, which is tantamount to receiving grace. I alluded to this earlier. One of the commands in the Bible is to receive his grace. Why? Because he wants you to have Christ confidence. He does not want you to rely on yourself for any aspect of salvation, for anything that is provided by his grace. Again, when we believe we're righteous, our confidence relies on self. We call that self-confidence. When we believe Christ's righteousness, our confidence relies on him. We call that Christ's confidence. The prior is a source of insecurity. It's the exact opposite of all that the Spirit developed in us since last summer. How does that happen? We reject grace. You see, at the end of the day, it's all about grace. The latter is true confidence, that is, receiving grace. I know I stuffed a lot into that one principle on the board, but I truly hope that you see all of the connective tissue between it. There's a few moving parts in there that we've studied over the past few months, even the past year plus. Again, the principle in Scripture is Romans 11.6, but... If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The principle is simple. Listen, to whatever degree we try in any way to live by our own righteousness, to that same degree, we suffer the consequences of abiding in self-righteousness, which is antithetical to living by God's grace. We know this, my friends, from Holy Scripture, of course, up here on the board, James 4, 6. What does James 4, 6 say? How many times have we seen this in the last five years? 
but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, the self-righteous, the self-confident, those who reject his grace, you see. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, the principle is simple. To whatever degree we try in any way to live by our own righteousness to that same degree, we suffer the consequences of abiding in it, which is antithetical to living by God's grace. In other words, if we want to run contrary to God's plan for our lives to be, quote, disobedient, then as the Bible teaches us in Galatians 6, we shall reap the fruit of our own arrogance. Go to Galatians 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. The Bible has a lot to say on this topic. A lot of warning flares, a lot of shots across the bow. Even during this 11-month curriculum we've been on, many, many times uh, the Spirit said to us, don't think you're getting away with anything. Not only are you losing out on confidence, but this thing that you think you're doing to gain more confidence is going to destroy it even more. You're not going to get away with anything. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I really like this passage on the coattails of what the Spirit's saying here in this message so far because in one sense it's imposing. It's don't even think about, don't be deceived, don't, do not mock me, so says the holy sovereign God of the universe. It's imposing in that sense, but it's also encouraging. If you look at verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up, and we'll reap in a good way. So there's this contrast of uh, an imposing sense of judgment, also against uh, encouragement. So that, if you think about it, isn't that God's manner, though, in dealing with us for the most part in general? Isn't that always that sort of dichotomy? I mean, he certainly doesn't hold any punches back. He loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to warn us. He loves us enough to give us wisdom before we need to apply it even so we can avoid the pitfalls in life. He certainly doesn't hold any punches back. But at the same time, while warning us of his wrath, he simultaneously encourages us to do good. In other words, there's always two clear choices that God sets before his children. Rely on self and suffer, or rely on God and be blessed. Rely on self and suffer, rely on God and be blessed. The choice is regarding grace. To rely on self is to reject grace. To rely on God is to receive grace. The choice then is regarding grace. And that those two clear choices are always available. Do you want it? Or will you reject it? Do you see the divine value in it? Or are you still ignorant? Will you persist in arrogance? Or are you going to be humble? As we just saw in James 4, 6 on the board, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Once again, we discern the same message from Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's the same message. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Whatever we sow, we will reap. God always gives us choices, however, up here on the board. Grace, in other words, is never forced upon us. Grace is the decision point. Do we reject it or receive it? That is the decision point. That's the litmus test, I suppose you could say, 
for arrogance itself, do you prefer self-righteousness over Christ's righteousness? In other words, grace is never forced on us. God presents us with grace. Quite a merciful gesture, don't you think? Commands we receive it, but never forces us to take it. Again, God presents us with grace. He commands we receive it for our own good, but he never forces us to take it. He always gives us a choice. And if we've learned anything in our recent series, it really is our choices that amount to everything. God's choices are flawless, and his word is perfectly efficacious, perfectly effective, never comes back shorthanded. We learn this in Holy Scripture. But we have a choice. As we learned in our final installments of The Lord is Our Confidence up here on the board, the Spirit went so far to say that, listen, God owns our success. He owns it. Why? Because his grace is perfectly efficacious. It's perfectly effective. God never asks his children to do something without first equipping them for success by grace. Our job is to humbly submit to him. In other words, one great example of that was submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We saw that in Ephesians 5.21. But the key point is that God owns our success. So we have to think about success. Listen, we have to think about success in terms of grace. Up here on the board, equipped for success with the word of God. We are equipped for success by grace through faith. Our confidence rests on the power of the word and the spirit in us, not on earthly things. This is what it means to abide in God's economy of grace. We're bringing up a lot of the things that the Spirit fleshed out of Holy Scripture for us in the last, I don't know, month or so. Again, God not only owns our success, He equips us for success. He does so with by equipping us with the Word of God. We are equipped for success by grace through faith. And then finally, to really drive this point of efficacious grace home, the Spirit gave us this to digest up here in the board. Again, God owns our success. God's word never comes up shy of its purpose. That's Isaiah 55, 11. We have Holy Scripture to document this. We have evidence from God the Holy Spirit that this is true, that God's word never comes up shy, that his word is perfectly efficacious. That's what I mean when I say that phrase perfectly efficacious. It means his word never comes up shy of its purpose. This means that when the word is implanted into our soul, it is guaranteed to be effective. Because of this fact, we are held personally responsible to the truth. Guaranteed to be effective also implies that we use it. <laughs> it's like saying, you know, I have, this, I have this guaranteed to be effective mosquito spray, but if you never take it out and spray your arm, you're probably going to get bit. That's a choice you make, though. The conclusion up here on the board, sound investment strategy. If God says unequivocally, and he does, I own your success. If God owns our success, then we ought to hand our entire lives over to him. It's the most successful we'll ever be. That's the whole point. If he owns our success, and he does, and his word never comes back empty-handed, which it doesn't, then shouldn't we just hand over our entire lives to him? Yeah. This is a practical calling upon our lives, too. This isn't just some ethereal, uh, uh, some abstract type thing. Oh, yeah, I've, I've given my life over to Jesus. But but have you? But but have you honestly? You, you, you say that, but have you really? What about that thing you were just doing this morning or last night? Or that thought you were having about whatever that was unholy. Are you sure about that? Because it looks very different if you look in the mirror. And that's what we all have discovered about ourselves. That when we get real practical, we all really are uh, horrendous in, in so many ways. So this is a practical calling upon our lives. This point in the board. If God owns our success, then we have to hand our entire lives over to him. Practical. Get practical. It's not something that we can, you know, file away as optional either. Our God, remember, is a jealous God. 
And he's never mocked. We do not be deceived. We just read that in Galatians 6, 7. The Bible encourages us to be sober. In other words, don't be intoxicated by the world. Be sober while here on earth. And, and think about how we began this message. Uh, and also uh, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.8 with me. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Think about how the message has developed so far. And then let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 and synthesize these two thoughts. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. But since we belong to the day... In other words, we're saved. Let us be sober. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let us be sober. Let us not be intoxicated. Do you understand? This is what it means to be sanctified, even. And that brings up a very critical point in our study we studied this out, this 80-part series, and we ended up with obedience right on our laps. The Spirit said essentially that sanctification is a function of obedience because God gives grace to the humble. God sanctifies the humble. The humble obey. Sanctification is a function of obedience. Again, what's the passage we're in? First Thessalonians 5, 8, look at it. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober. Last time I checked, folks, it's not in God's plan for us to be drunk, neither physically nor spiritually. We should not be intoxicated in any way. We should not be out of our wits or our faculties in any way. We're supposed to, remember, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians, what is it, 5, 22 and 23, is the last one mentioned is self-control. You don't have a whole lot of self-control if you're intoxicated. But since we belong to the day, what does the Bible tell us? Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's obedience. Up here on the board, let us be sober. In other words, let us not be intoxicated with the world and its trappings. Let us rid ourselves. This is that practical calling I was talking or getting at earlier. This is that practical calling. Let's, let's, in, let's give our entire lives over to him. If he owns our success and we're to give our entire life, let's just not talk a big game. Oh, I, get, I hand it over to you, Jesus. Have you really? You look kind of drunk. You, you seem to be staggering around a little bit in the world system. Just saying. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively. Don't sit back and expect, you know, that whole let go and let God garbage. This is a this is a union. This is a co-laboring that we're part of, right? We're called to be yoked with Christ. You know what a you know what a, an oxen does when it's yoked? It plows a field. Yeah, it walks along. You see, it doesn't just sit there and get dragged along. That's called unequal yoking. Anyways, let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively. You know what? How about for once in your life you take control? Or I shouldn't say it that way. You, 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 you take an interest in your spiritual growth. How about that? How about that kind of a thing? How about you actually listen to what the Spirit's saying about the things that are awry in your own soul, your thinking, your your, the momentum you have in this life, you, even your friends. These are all practical considerations. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively. Don't let that word proactively go unnoticed here. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively of the ties that bind us to evil things, people, habits, stuff, you name it. So with that said, let's come full circle now with this message. Again, the message is, at the end of the day, it's all about grace. We began a big picture conclusion about this 80-part series. We just, or we began with a big picture conclusion, if you remember, at the beginning of this message, about this 80-part series we just finished. It looked like this, remember? 80 messages is a lot more than 80 hours if it takes a shepherd. Hours to compress a message into a single hour It'll take hours for his sheep to decompress it. So when the Spirit makes a point like this, 
You know what? He's essentially pointing to grace. He's saying, just look at it. Think about, reflect with me. Think back to the summer. Think about what's happened. Even think about the silliness that's going on with this, all the stuff, the hysteria and the ridiculousness surrounding uh, the COVID. Think about how much you've grown since this past summer even. And I'm speaking, honestly, I'm speaking to the humble in the congregation because the arrogant, they, they're they stuck. And what I do, I hit them with a rod and they just sit there like a mule. I'm speaking to the humble in the congregation. Think about how much you've grown since this past summer even. Think about how much more you appreciate the confidence that the Spirit's given to you through this ministry. You know what we call that? We call that grace. It's practical, do you see? It's practical in every sense of the word. It's practical in every sense of the word. God is saying through this pulpit right now, hey, don't just write off what I've done for you. Look at my grace. Don't write it off. Look at my grace. Look at the point on the board. 11 months to build up your confidence, your Christ confidence. Look at all I've done for you. Look at my grace. Can't you see how much I love you? And for the sake of context regarding grace, God's saying, I've loved you all along, my children. It's why I chose to save you. Hence, again, up here on the board, by grace, through faith, we are saved. This must be our supreme confidence. In this, we must be supremely confident. By grace, through faith, we are saved. This is both our assurance of positional sanctification and experiential progressive sanctification, as well as our ultimate sanctification. So, when we look back over the past 11 months or so, we are struck with this reality about God's grace. And you know, it fits perfectly into all of our messages on confidence. Here's a previous principle now from earlier. I just want to start tying this all together. Self-confidence versus Christ confidence. When we believe we're righteous, our confidence relies on self. In other words, self-confidence when we believe Christ's righteous, our confidence relies on him. We call it Christ's confidence. The prior is a source of insecurity. It's a lie it, because it rejects grace. The latter is true confidence because it receives grace. The disclaimer before we close is this. Grace is never forced upon us. God presents us with grace. It is quite merciful. To do so, he commands we receive it, but never forces us to take it. Again, I hope you see it, my friends. God loves you beyond measure. Grace is his expression of love towards the unworthy. That's you, my friend. By grace, we are saved and sanctified. And sanctify implies movement, remember, from point A to point B. Some of you remember maybe even that principle from a, quite a few messages back in our previous series that sanctification implies movement from point A to point B. When God saved us, he moved us from a position of wrath to love. When he saves us experientially, he does the same for us, again, by grace. And ultimately, he's going to move us all the way to eternity with him in paradise. The best way to describe that union with him is to use a scriptural reference. Knowing that sanctification, think, knowing that sanctification, this movement, is towards him. To be more like him. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be made holy. So let's use scriptural reference for this. Up here on the board, 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is 
love. God is love. Think about sanctification. God is love. To be sanctified is to be set apart for his purpose, to be made holy just like him, to move towards him. And by the way, he is love. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God's ab God abides in him. So let me try to net this out. If God is love, and sanctification's intent is to make us holy like himself, then is it fair to conclude the following? The goal of sanctification, the divine context for life, for the life of a believer, is love. That's the goal of sanctification. God says, after 11 months of a, a, a deep down and gritty series on confidence, what is he saying? At the end of the day, it was always about my grace. I want to give you something. I want, you, I want to give you confidence. I want to give you something because, you know what, I love you. And the more that you're sanctified in knowing this, that's the grace and knowledge of me, the more you're sanctified, the more you move towards my divine love. That's the goal of sanctification, my friends. The divine context for the life of a believer is love. I'll leave it there. It seems we've ended here yet again. And really, it's just very interesting. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this message, for revealing to us through grace how much you do love us, how much you've done for us, Father. Shame on us forever, forgetting or becoming familiar with it, Father. We just come before you humbly, Father, and just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us above all things, Father. We just pray that we're able to take the things that we've learned in this message back to the privacy of our souls and reflect on it and receive even a greater grace. Share it with others and our families even. And then you will be done, of course, with a world that's in desperate need of love. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.